Well, as I said at the beginning of our service, we are coming to the end of this book of Romans, this wonderful book that we find in the New Testament that really does serve as an amazing summary of what we believe as Christians. We've really been looking at this letter to understand, first and foremost, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Secondly, who's it for? That it's for everyone. And then ultimately, what does it mean to then live in light of that good news? To live gospel-saturated lives which overflow into our relationships with our communities, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family and friends. And so I think it's right that as we uh, come before God's word once more and we take a closer look at that passage from Romans 15, that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have indeed drawn us together at this time. That it is your pleasure and your joy to meet with us, your people. That we might learn who you are that we might learn what it means to have a relationship with you and that we might ultimately learn also what our purpose in life truly is. And so as we once more come before your word, we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive it. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this morning, I want to begin by asking a question. My question is, what is your ambition? If you were to look at your life and really have to wrestle with the question, what is your driving ambition? What would you say? See, it's, it's one of these words, ambition, that I don't think we often talk about in the church. What does ambition have to do with the Christian life? The reason why we often don't ask the question, what's your ambition, is because, quite honestly, it it seems like a word that stands contrary to everything that we believe and hold true as people of faith. I mean, this idea of having a personal ambition and, and drive seems like it's a drive to exalt ourselves and to be prideful. I mean, in fact, one other place in Scripture, Paul himself says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. That's from Philippians chapter 2. And so I think to to ask the question, what's your ambition in church? It just seems a little bit odd. It seems a a little bit contrary to what we believe. And yet what, what people will often tell you is that having an ambition in life is actually an essential part of what it means to be human. That when you look at what many leaders have to say about ambition, they say that it's, that it's quite central. It's very, very important. It's not something to be overlooked. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, I came across this quote. It says, great ambition is the passion of a great character. Those endowed with it may perform very good or very bad acts. All depends on the principles which direct them. Seems like some really, really good wisdom, but then you have to consider who said it. It's actually Napoleon. But see, this illustrates my point, right? This is the reason we have a problem with ambition. Because when when leaders talk about ambition, on the one hand, there's something within us that resonates with what they say. This idea that ambition is important, but often the people who speak most eloquently about ambition are the ones who often use it for very, very selfish ends. And yet there's some truth in what Napoleon says, right? Right? I mean, the reality is even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Or maybe in Napoleon's case, even a short squirrel occasionally reaches the shortest branch. But there's truth to what he says here. 
Ambition does indeed matter. And and what I want to argue this morning as we're looking at Romans chapter 15 is that there is an ambition which should be at the heart of, of every Christian's life. That there is a kind of ambition which is called for and necessary when we think about our purpose in the world. And it's to that that I want us to turn now. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn, open up to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be starting in verse 14. If you're using the Pew Bible, this is going to be on page 949 in the Pew Bible, page 949. And again, I've been saying it every week that I've been preaching, but I want to say it again. If you don't own your own Bible, take that Pew Bible. Let that be our gift to you as a church. And the reason why is we want you studying it. We want you looking at this passage together with us and being able to underline things that stand out and and to highlight and to write notes in the margins. So again, let's go ahead. Let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 15 uh, because this is the text that we are going to be looking at this morning. Because it's here in Romans chapter 15 that we encounter the kind of ambition that I think is necessary for Christian living. But before we get to it, Paul starts in verse 14 by first and foremost reminding the Romans a little bit about what he's been talking about. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You see, one of the things that really stands out to me as we've been going through this entire book of Romans, and and this really is more of a side note, but I think it's worth mentioning here, is just how Paul understands what good Christian leadership is. That good Christian leadership is first and foremost reminding your fellow brothers and sisters what they already have in Jesus Christ. He says, that's all I've really been doing, is I've simply been reminding you. Reminding you about the things that we hold that we hold in common, reminding you about the gifts that Jesus has already given to you because I myself am satisfied that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You see, good Christian leadership reminds us of what we have in Christ and then calls us to use that gift in instructing one another. In fact, at one point in one of his other letters in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that this is the reason why God gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. See, what he says is he says good leadership reminds you of what you already have and calls you to use it in instructing one another. And again, just kind of as a side note, but I think an important side note, this is part of the reason why we at Trinity place such a high value on congregational leadership. It's why we encourage you to join small group Bible studies and not just wait for a large pastor's Bible studies. Why? Because you guys are able, you have the knowledge of Jesus Christ and are able to instruct each other. So Paul begins by just reminding him, this is what you already have. But keep in mind, he's also coming to them for the very, very first time. And after reminding them of the gospel and of its calling upon their lives, as he comes to the end of this letter, he introduces them to his own driving ambition. And this is what he says in Romans 15, verse 20. He says, Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see And those who have never heard will understand. 
See, Paul says there is an ambition in the life of a Christian which is absolutely essential. There is a kind of ambition which calls us out of ourselves and into the mission that God has in mind for us. He says it is this ambition, my ambition, is to preach the good news. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. See, Paul says, my ambition The thing that shapes my entire life is that more people will hear the good news about Jesus Christ. He says that is an ambition worth having. And I love what Paul says. He says, and I want to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but I want to go to the places where people don't yet know about him. That's really what drives me. He says, I don't want to build on someone else's foundation because there's still new ground, fresh ground that has to be broken up. There are new foundations that have to be laid. And my drive and my passion in life is to go to the places where Jesus has not been named so that people might call on him. So that people might hear the good news, that they might respond in faith, that they might ultimately grow in the knowledge of him, and that they might too experience what it means to live a gospel-saturated life. That's the reason I don't want to build on anyone else's foundation. This is my passion, is to share that good news with those who have yet to hear And I think that this should be, quite honestly, the passion of every single Christian. And here's why. It's because of the fact that there are people in your life, people that maybe you just brush shoulders with, people maybe you encounter when you're in the office place, but there are people in your life who have not yet heard the good news. Yes, they may be familiar with church. They may have some vague understanding of Christianity. But the reality is they are waiting for someone to come to them with the good news of Jesus. And the truth is, is that that is a foundation that you are called to lay. That there are people in our lives who don't yet know. And Paul says our ambition should be that they would hear the good news. And I think too often we're too comfortable to build on someone else's foundation. I think too often we're too comfortable to surround ourselves with fellow Christians, to stay in light, to keep life inside the church, to only cultivate those relationships with fellow believers. And Paul says, that's great. That's good. That's beautiful. In fact, he's going to talk about all of his Christian relationships next week. But he says, but my passion... My ambition, the thing that drives me is that I would enter into relationships with people who don't yet know the good news. And that is an ambition and a calling that we are called to as well. And it shapes everything else. Specifically, I think Paul highlights three ways in which this ambition reshapes and redefines our lives. And I want to take a closer look at each of those. The first thing that this kind of Christian ambition does is it reshapes our purpose and defines our path. It reshapes our purpose in life and defines our path. That an overriding ambition seems to sweep us up and captivate and guide and direct absolutely everything else that we do. It reshapes our purpose and defines our path. You see, when I was getting ready to prepare this message, and as I was looking at Romans 15 and specifically looking at verse 20, 
I realized that this is a verse that has had particular significance for me. And here's why. Several years ago, in, uh, 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 let's see, it was uh, back in 2006. I, uh, I'm sorry, not 2006. <laughs> 2012. Um, I, was, I was sitting at a conference. I went to a conference in Florida that was hosted by the organization I worked with. It was uh, called InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship. It was a campus ministry. And we were, in this, uh, we were in this, at this conference in Florida uh, meeting with a church called the Underground Network. And the Underground Network was teaching us about what it means to plant new ministries on college campuses where there wasn't any kind of ministry going on. And as I was going through that conference, I I was hearing all these people talking about, about equipping your students and equipping your chapter to start planting new chapters, to raise up leaders within your ministry, not to stay on your campus, but to actually consider going to other campuses in your city to help plant new ministries to reach other college students. And as I'm sitting there with my supervisor and I'm listening to this call to raise up people that they might be sent to plant new ministries, you want to know what I could, all I could think about was? All I could think about was not my campus ministry. All I could think about was this church. That's all I could think about. My boss was just like, hey, what are you thinking about when you get back to UIC? And I was just like, I don't know what this means, but I feel like I, I can't stop thinking about Trinity. And he said, you, you, you kind of need to pay attention to that. And so I did. I just started praying about it and saying, all right, God, what do you want me to do with this? Am I called to stay, in, in pas- in, am I, am I called to stay as a campus minister or should I enter into pastoral ministry? What do you think I should do? And uh, I had already scheduled a meeting with Pastor Mark before I left on this conference just to sit down with him and kind of talk a little bit about pastoral ministry. And so here's what ended up happening. I, I went to that conference. I came back. Two weeks later, I sat down with Pastor Mark. And you want to know what happened in that meeting? He offered me a job. But the last word that was given to me at this conference before I left, before I left Florida and came back to Chicago, was this verse. The pastor of the underground stood up and he said, this is the calling of every Christian life. To have an ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest we build on someone else's foundation. He says, God has this ambition that he wants to give to you. He wants to birth this ambition in you. And you need to pay attention to that calling. And two weeks later, I get this invitation to come and serve here. It has reshaped my purpose. It has defined my path. This ambition has taken us to St. Louis, has brought us through seminary, has ultimately guided us back here to where we now serve. But this is not unique to me, ladies and gentlemen. I share that story because this is what ambition does. Godly ambition The kind of ambition that Paul talks about here reshapes and redefines your path and purpose in life. It is to be the overriding calling of every single thing that we do. To ask ourselves the question, Lord, how can this next step in my journey, how can this next decision in my life help me to break new ground for the gospel? In the places where I live in the places where I work, in the family members that I am closest to. Lord, how can I break new ground? The people might hear the good news. My desire for everybody here at Trinity is that you would be captivated by that ambition. That you would get a taste of what the mission of God looks like in your daily life. That it would become the guiding purpose and principle of every single thing that you do. 
And that Trinity would not just be about programs and buildings and things like that, but it would be about people who are so captivated by the good news of Jesus that they can't help but go out into the world and break new ground for the good news so that those who have yet to hear may hear. The good news that Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again so that we might have hope and purpose, new life, and ultimately eternity with him when he returns again in glory. See, that is news that is too good to keep to ourselves. It was too good for Paul to keep to himself. It became the driving ambition of his life. This is why he says, I'm not going to venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He says, this is actually the reason why I was hindered in coming to you is because I still had work to do. There was still grounds to break. And even though I wanted to come over here and visit you, the calling was too urgent. My ambition compelled held me to keep working until there was no more work for me to do in this area and now I'm coming to you. Paul says that's my driving ambition but honestly that's my prayer for this church. That our lives would be captivated so much that even when other desires pull at us we would say but my ambition is to continue to break new ground and so I will go where Jesus Christ will send me. That's what ambition thing, that's the first thing that ambition does, is it reshapes our purpose and defines our path. But the second thing that ambition does is it actually focuses our priorities. It focuses our priorities specifically in how we use our resources. I want you to listen to what Paul actually says, starting in verse 24. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. You see, what Paul says is he says, I'm coming to you. To spend time with you in Rome, but also so that I might be sent by you as I continue on my mission now to Spain. See, Paul actually has the expectation in coming to visit the Romans that they will financially support him in his ministry to go and break new ground in Spain. And he points to the example of other believers at the places where he's already planted. He says that they've already contributed material blessings for the sake of the church. I'm actually on my way to give some of those blessings in Jerusalem. But when I come to you, I'm hoping to be helped by you as I go on to Spain. And actually, those words in the Greek, this, uh, that I might be helped by you, is actually a financial term. That I might receive some sort of financial benefit for going on and starting this new ministry in Spain. Now, why would Paul expect to receive financial support from the church in Rome as he starts this new ministry endeavor? Why would he assume that? Well, I think it's because that's just an expectation of Christian life. Is that we would be generous in what we have for the sake of helping break new ground where God is sending his workers. That that's just an, ex an expectation of what we do. Paul says that I've already experienced this from the people who's, who are where I've planted in, in, in Macedonia and Achaia. And my hope is that you too will join me. That you will financially support the work that God is calling me to do. 
This is part of the reason why in our, in our membership covenant here at Trinity, one of our seven values is generosity. Because the expectation is that we will always take a portion of the blessings that God has given to us and return them to his hands for his use to continue to break new ground. See, we often get nervous in this country talking about money. And I would say that that is probably because of the fact that we have an issue as Americans with cash. But keep in mind, that's not an issue Paul nor the early church had. They said this is just an expectation of life, that we, would, that we would be so captivated by this ambition that it would reshape our priorities to the point where we're willing to even give of our physical and material resources for the sake of advancing the mission, of planting new churches, of reaching lost people. And I say that I think it's an issue that we have as Americans, not necessarily because, of our, uh, uh, because we're Christians. It's an issue we have as Americans because Barna recently did a study of American Christians' giving patterns. And you know what they found? They found that the vast majority of Christians, over 80%, give less than $2,500 a year to their church. Less than $2,500 a year to their church. Now, if that is considered a tithe, that means that we are tithing from a $25,000 gross household income. Think about this for a moment. Here in DuPage County, according to recent census data, the median household income is $84,000. The average household income is $121,000. My point is simply this. How much could we do together if we allowed this ambition to reshape our priorities when it comes to using the resources God has given us. The reason I ask that question is because this is the reason we're doing the Immeasurably More campaign. It's not just because this is a program that Trinity is doing. It's not just because it came high time on our calendar to run a financial campaign. No, it's because of the fact that we are two sites planting two more sites. That we are four sites together all wanting to start brand new ministries to reach our communities to proclaim the gospel and the good news to people who haven't yet heard it. And so our desire is to sit down with every single person in this church and to say, in what ways has this ambition calling you to give in some way that we might do the mission God has called us to do? And we're doing that all in obedience to the calling that we have to make the gospel known so that more people might become more like Jesus. I think it's, it's quite honestly in obedience to what Jesus tells us. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't think Jesus was a fool when he put them in that order. He doesn't say, hey, where your heart is, there you will give your money. No, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, because when you give of your material resources, it actually shapes your inner life. And the question that we're asking throughout this Immeasurably More campaign, the question we ask every time we gather together in church and we take an offering is simply this, how is your giving shaping your heart around the mission of God? How is your giving shaping your heart around the mission of God? Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. How is what we give waking us up to the ambition of seeing lost people coming to know Jesus? Of planting churches where churches are closing? Of starting new ministries where people increasingly don't know the good news and don't understand the love and the grace of Jesus Christ? 
See, godly ambition reshapes our purpose. It focuses our priorities. But the third thing that it does is it actually inspires our prayers. I love how Paul um, uh, uh, says the following words when he talks about coming to them. He tells them, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. See, this kind of ambition inspires our prayers. It shapes our prayer life. I mean, oftentimes, I'll be honest, if I'm, if I'm truly honest with myself, the times that I'm most moved to prayer is when I have a need, right? When there's something going on in my life or in my, my uh, friends' lives or in the lives of my, of my family. But what Paul is saying here is he says, this ambition, though, should also be shaping our prayer life so that, yes, when we have needs, we ask of God, but the reality is, is that we also pray. We pray for the mission of the church, we pray that leaders and missionaries like Paul would continue to go out, that they would be protected from harm, that their word would go forth into the word and that it would bear fruits. That as a result of the work that they're doing, we would indeed see more people coming to faith. That we would see more people coming to know Jesus. You see, this kind of ambition inspires our prayers. It reshapes our prayers so that daily we get down on our knees and we think of those who have been called to that kind of ministry and we lift them up. That we pray for the people in our small group as they're reaching out to their friends and family who don't yet know Jesus. That we pray for our pastors and our leaders. That we pray for the missionaries that we send. That we pray for the churches, not just here in America, but around the world. That the ministry that they are doing to break new ground, to preach the good news so that people might hurt, might indeed bear fruit. It's this inspiration motivated by this deep gospel ambition that moves us to pray for our church. But not just here at TKW, but to pray for our four locations. To pray for our four sites, that the work that they're doing may indeed break new ground. That it would bear fruit, that we would see people moved and, 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 and captivated by the Holy Spirit. Captivated by Jesus Christ. Come to faith in God their Father. And so a question we have to ask ourselves is, how is our prayer life? Do we regularly take time to pray for the mission of God wherever it goes forth? To yes, when we have personal needs, to bring them to the Lord. But also to not forget to pray for those who are being sent out into the world that their word would bear fruit, that it would point people to Christ, that ultimately more people would come to know the good news of Jesus. See, these are some of Paul's concluding words. He wraps up his letter next week. But here, at the end, even now, we get to see just a, a snapshot, just a glimmer of all that's come before. That the good news of Jesus, that Jesus saves, is so precious, so wonderful, that it reshapes our entire lives. To the good news that it's not about what you do, but it, rather it's about the love of God that makes you acceptable in his sight. That all are welcome that all of us, while we are desperately lost, are, are wonderfully saved through Jesus. 
And that God brings us into this new community to give us a purpose, a passion, an ambition for life that will reshape our world. That is too good to keep to ourselves. My prayer for you, for our church, is that we would be a people captivated by gospel ambition and that it would reshape everything that we do for the glory of God's name, for the salvation of the world, all as an act of worship to the one who has come and who will come again. Glory be to God in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.